Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is December 21st, 2015. This is episode 147. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my designated hitter, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Check us out at Baltimore Sports Report at baltimoresportsreport.com. You can also check us out with other baseball podcasts at baseballtalkradio.com. Check us out on various third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. Please, if you get a chance, go over there, rate us, review our show, give us something to be happy about this off-season. Check us out on social media at Facebook, and most importantly, check us out on Twitter at Birds Eye View, B A L. And with that, most important time of the week, it's the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking tonight? All right, now I started off my evening with something a little more respectable. It was a Galactica by Clown Shoes, but I've gone... Clown Shoes? Clown Shoes. Oh. Hey, I didn't wrap my lips around a Clown Shoes tramp stamp, which was my other option. I went with the Galactica, which is the IPA. But I've gone uh, the cheaper route, and now I am mooching off your leftover Corona Extra. Thank you, Scott. No problem. Uh, So I ended up with a Harpoon UFO Gingerland beer it is a it doesn't really taste like gingerbread but it's definitely got a spice note to it quite tasty much approved um jake what's next on the agenda well we have the best part of the show and that is the chris davis watch scott Major developments in the Chris Davis watch. Really? Absolutely. Right during the podcast. Imagine yes, that. yes. This is this is fresh, hot off the presses, and I, I need to make sure that I get this out clearly because I don't want to get it wrong. Okay. Scott, just a few moments ago, mm-hmm. Steve Harvey announced that the Orioles would be the ones to get Chris Davis. Right, I see what you did here. Yeah. yeah Look, that's, that's not that funny, actually. Can, can, can I give an In fact, un- that's like one of the worst jokes that has ever been made on this podcast. Well, leave it to me to do it. Yeah, seriously. Can I, can I give an unpopular opinion? Uh, you always do. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I honestly think with uh, Peter Angelus being involved, uh, chatting, with the, uh, chatting with the agent, I think if there was a deal to be had, it would be done at this point. If Chris Davis was about coming back to Baltimore, if he was sold on returning to the Orioles... It would be done. We would know what the number is that that would have taken to make it happen. It would have happened. I know that we've heard, oh, Davis wants eight for 200, and and maybe that's the case. But part of me really thinks that if if he wanted to come back, he would be back. Uh, Jake, let me ask you this question. I'm listening. When is the last time Peter Angelos lost something? I I, I mean, there were those 14 years in between. I mean, when it's dealing with a business side of things. 
Okay. I, I can't think of one. All right. Well, then I think it's just a matter of time at this point. Okay. I, and I hope that's the case. I'm just, my spider's uh, senses are tingling. Jake, that's just the wood that's in your pants of uh, certain things going on. Yikes. Yeah. Let's move on, shall we? To 140 characters or less? This week on the Twitters. Scott, I found something. Okay. I've found something for when I am sad. Really? When I am sad and things need to get better. And it is, it's something that's been brought to us by Dan, who tweets, of course, at my KBO. And it, is it this? Oh, yes. In case you missed it, tweets Dan. Hoping to hear hashtag Orioles fans serenade Kim Hunsu with this cheer song this season. And Scott, we have to make this happen. We have to. So the question is, do we get to like bounce around like little Asian schoolgirls up Ab- in the upper deck? Absolutely. Can we get more of that? No. Come on. There's no way to be in a bad mood when that is playing. No. There's no way. You can watch that uh, that terrible Sarah McLaughlin dogs commercial with that running in the background instead and still be happy. And we're moving on. Uh, so next week comes from Dan Zambrowski. You can follow him at D Zambrowski. And of course, it's that time of the year. It's time for zips to start coming out. So after the uh, Hunsu Kim signing, uh, there was the zips projections that came out. And, uh, well, you know, we're looking at a player that's going to be averaging right around a 334 on-base percentage and a 407 slugging percentage. You know, a 730-ish OPS is not really that bad. I'm not sure if it's starting you know not like lead off a player but he could definitely be a solid maybe seven eight or nine hitter but for the next two years he's projected to have right around a 2.0 war and he's getting a lot of comparisons to a well he's getting a lot of comparisons to a nick marcakis type player absolutely but for 3.5 per season rather than 10 yes uh totally so there's that's a huge difference uh in terms of the market we'll see if he can meet up to that you know, criteria. I don't think anyone is going to be able to match the spot that Nick Marcakis left in uh, Orioles' hearts. All right, next question for you. Yes. How did we not think of this? Mm. Here is a segment idea that is alcohol begging to be made. This comes from Drink Baltimore, mm. who tweets at Drink Baltimore. Who's your hashtag man crush Monday? Ours is Santa. Scott, we have a podcast, right? Yeah. We, we've got a drink of the week. Yeah. All right. We release episodes on Monday. Yep. Why can we not have a man crush Monday? God, that's such a good idea. It really screams a lot. This is a tweet that just screams you going to American University <laughs> really every single day. Uh, but you know what, Jake? Different is sometimes good. This comes from Eno Saris. You can follow him at Eno Saris. He, of course, writes for Fangrass. And, oh, shows off all this times about pitchers and how they hold their balls. Wait, that was a terrible segue again after Man Crush Monday. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen suggests that maybe the most important thing in pitching is being different. Need to try and cut out the middle for study. You know, this comes back to Darren O'Day with his Jenny Finch delivery, uh, Michael Givens with, again, that kind of sidearm delivery, and, of course, Zach Burton throwing that sinker up there all the time at 97 miles per hour. Certainly confusing batters and getting them off rhythm is something that is interesting. Pretty much almost impossible to measure to a certain regard how much impact that could have. But it's certainly a very interesting dynamic and something that should have Orioles fans very exciting going into 2016. All right. Next, 
I'm not really sure I like this. Hmm. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need you to to help me with okay. this. Um, this tweet comes from the Oriole Bird, who tweets at Oriole Bird. His first tweet came out. Tweet tweet. Is this thing on, Scott? I'm not sure I like this because, frankly, we already have a Twitter Oriole Bird, and fake Oriole Bird is where it's at. Do we have room in our hearts for two Oriole Birds on Twitter? We do. It's just the other one's probably going to get ignored, basically. All right. Uh, you know, I have something else going on here, and there's a player from last year that got a lot of angst from fans. Yep. Um, and he's trying his best. He's determined, it seems, to get me to like him this year. And um, this is Jason Garcia. Jason Garcia tweets at Jason Garcia underscore 61. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like in Sarasota, Florida. All right. Look, if you're okay. going to do that, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. But in all honesty, he got to play with the Stars last year as the Row 5. This year, get used to Norfolk, okay? <laughs> There's no Stars in Norfolk. Get used to it. Spoiler alert, I think he's going to be the Norfolk shuttle. I think he'll be up and down plenty. Mm, okay. I, I I don't see that happening. I think they're just going to keep him as a starter, basically. But, eh, surprise me. Uh, last tweet that we wanted to cover this week uh, was in regards to... Well, it kind of reiterates back to Chris Davis, and this is a stop it now to Mike Petrullio. You can follow him at Mike underscore Petrullio, and of course he is the all-being one of StatCast. And his tweet goes as, I tried to find the best non-Baltimore home for Chris Davis, and well, this wasn't where I was expecting to go going into it. Um, so if you don't read this article, it was uh, Chris Davis being projected to go to Yankee Stadium to play with the New York Yankees. Ugh. But Mike does point out in the article that it's probably not a good fit for him. And the best fit still is the Baltimore Orioles based off of their need for the player and the dimensions of the park. But if you want to look at another park that would be ideal for him, Yankee Stadium would be one. Woof. All right. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that brought us a lot of tears during FanFest. Why don't we get into them? Scotty, for a weekly podcast, we slack a lot during the offseason. We we weren't here last week, and so we, we weren't able to share our thoughts on FanFest. You and I, of course, went down there, as did, well, some Orioles fans. Uh, we wanted to, to pull together some notes from FanFest, and this information is basically still valid because nothing else has happened since. Um, I got to tell you, the the timing that that FanFest took place it's just not the right time for FanFest in in early to mid December i got to be honest i'm just not feeling baseball yet it's not baseball season it's 
December. It's something something is off is the best way to describe it. So And in the past it's you know, it's been in mid January and that the the thing is with that is that you know, you go to FanFest and then you have only like a month or so month away and so pitchers like, and catchers I can make it. Right. You you can survive right. that. This is still seventy plus days away, so it's just like oh like it's so far away still. And you gotta get through Christmas and New Year's, Martin Luther King Day and Valentine's Day and yada now, yada yada. Does the fact that the Orioles didn't do anything at the winter meetings had nothing to show for themselves? Did that add to the lackluster feel to FanFest? Maybe to a slight regard, but I mean, in all honesty, that's been the case for many years now. But there seems to have been more excitement, at least even in middle January, because you know baseball is right around the corner. I thought it was funny. (laughs) Buck Showalter gave an interview for uh i think it was espn i think he was talking to his former colleagues at uh, baseball tonight and he said something to the fact that he didn't want to go uh he didn't want to leave the winter meetings empty-handed because he didn't want to go and face the fans uh with nothing to show for himself after the winter meetings well uh that that's exactly what happened is he new here because that's kind of the way it always has been but jake you have to come back to the one point with the attendance being standing down you know in previous seasons the Orioles had averaged around 15,000 to 18,000 fans, and the estimates for this was right around 11,000 fans, and that has to include some numbers regarding you know season ticket holders that were given two free tickets. So I guess my question is, Jake, with that much of a downturn, you know, this has to be a monumental failure for the Orioles. Well, I think it begs the question, is this all about the fact that, like you and I just complained about, the timing was all wrong? Or is it the fact that an 81-81 season after, uh, you know, a really great 2014, did that temper enthusiasm? It's a a terrible part of the season. It's right before the holidays. The, you know, your season ticket reps have no clue what's kind of coming on because they can't even say, oh, this is what's going on. You can't sell single game tickets, which I always think is a big thrill for going and saying, mm-hmm. oh, I want to buy this game, this game, this game. It just, it's just a terrible part. A part of, uh, it was a terrible organized event. I'm sorry. It was, it was terrible. All right. Well, you and I go every year. I mean, what are the, the highlights, the ups and downs of FanFest to begin with? All right. Well, me personally, I like seeing for the fan forums. Um, you know, you can go into the autograph station. You can go to the Masson booth. You can get go go ahead and go in the giveaway line. But I personally like sitting down and being fluffed. And I love the fluff that comes out and just seeing how they're going to spin certain things. Uh, and you know, Dan and Buck getting up there, and you know, Brady at a later point too coming up there and talking. That's the kind of fluff that I want to see there because we really get to see the front office in person. Well, I, I thought it was great because that, that first fan forum, uh, again, it was Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. Uh, Dan Duquette got up and he started off with all of his off-season accomplishments and then 45 seconds later didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah, yeah and, but again, you know, I think Buck and Dan did a good job of deflecting and uh, we were certainly with a rowdy crowd uh, with up in the front row of people catcalling, basically, is the best way to describe yeah, we it. We were sitting next to this old guy who... Who apparently was known a known entity by Jim Hunter because Jim Hunter didn't want to call on him because this guy apparently has caused trouble in the past. W- look, when when you sit in the front row every year and you are and you are known as a rabble rouser, my hat is off to you, sir. Yeah, that's and he had a newspaper with him too, which again <laughs> makes makes Jake very happy. He sat down and he read his paper as if he was uninterested in what was going on. There was a comment made by Dan Duquette that I want to kind of look at and. There was discussion about 
the opt-outs and railing on Jason Hayward's deal. And one of the quotes from that, and this wasn't verbatim from FanFest, but it was on MLB Network earlier this week. And it says, I don't know if that structure would work for the Orioles. I think when you do that, you give up leverage in the marketplace and you affect the business of the entire industry. From my perspective, the players don't do well and you have a long-term commitment out there. They're still going to get paid. And I'm not sure about utilizing those outs. All right. He's absolutely right that it's a business that affects the entire industry. But if the industry is moving to that, you kind of need to say, I'm going to accept that. Yeah, I mean, it's I will I will admit that it is an unfair structure in the fact where if the player does really well, he can get out of his contract early and go get more money. And if he does poorly, then you go in and you continue to pay a player who's playing poorly. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have a situation where you can't sign a player or would you rather have a situation where you can sign a player who doesn't meet the full commitment because he gave you too many really good years at the beginning of that contract? Look, if you sign a guy like Hayward for eight years or whatever it is and he has an opt-out after three and he has such good three first years that he opts out of his contract, isn't that a good thing? It's not a good thing. I mean, it's a it, it's the aspect of yeah, it's a good thing because I guess you somewhat have gotten the 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 wins that you're supposed to be paying for. But it's not a good thing because it, it as Dan points out, it basically uh, allows the players to have all the leverage in the marketplace. I hear you, but but hear me out just a little bit further. Sure. Let's say Hayward has that eight year contract. Sure. He he opts out after three years. Yeah. Some other club pays him when he's three years older. Yeah. And pays for his years of decline. Yeah. Meanwhile, the first team that pays him is off the hook for those years of decline. Yeah. It, it, there's an excellent article out there on Fangrass um, from I think it was Dave Cameron explaining why this is not a good thing. And uh, I would recommend everyone because there's this whole. Some people have your opinion. Rob Nyers, one who is an acclaimed baseball writer. I'm more of the Dave Cameron school where I just – I don't see this as a good thing for teams. I, I just don't. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a situation where the Orioles have to go into ostrich mode and bury their head into the sand. You know, this aspect of it wouldn't work for the Orioles is kind of silly. The reason I say this is you look at contractual obligations for the Orioles, and there's really nobody on the books past 2018. So, for example – Let's use the name that we keep bringing up all year, and it's been Chris Davis. What is the reason why you can't go to Chris Davis and say, we're going to give you a seven-year deal, and after year three, you can opt out? I mean, what is precluding them from doing that? If he does opt out and says, you know what, I'm going to take my bag and go home, going in 2019, you have a complete salary and payroll that's completely bare bones and vacant. Yeah, does it throw a monkey wrench in your plans? To a certain regard, it does. But one player shouldn't make or break your team if they opt out. You should have a contingency and a backup plan, similar to what the Dodgers have been trying to work out with Greinke and going and looking at other options within the starting pitching market or taking their excellent farm system, which they've developed in the past as well, and going ahead and trading it for potential starting pitchers such as Fernandez. And there's no reason that the original team can't re-sign that player oh, at the end of the opt-out. You're absolutely right. It just, I just find it silly that it, it's the aspect of there's no option here. Here's a question for yeah. you. At the end of 2016, the CBA is up. There's going to be negotiation. Yeah. Do you think that the opt-out will be one of the things that's considered for the next CBA? No. Okay. I, so I, you I, think it's in it's in play forever at this point? I think it's in play forever, and I don't think it would. it's going to go away. Uh, I think it may get into a situation where that's maybe – I kind of agree with you. This is, that sounds like CBA talk a year early. 
but I don't think it's something that's going to get legislated out. Here, here's something for you. What about a draft pick for players that, or for teams that lose a player that opt out? That would be interesting. Um, I guess that would be interesting. I don't think it should be a first-round draft pick, but uh, that would be an interesting way for people to maybe throw that in there. It would certainly lessen the value of the opt-out to a certain regard. Um, but that's an interesting th- thought process. Uh, well, one of the more intellectual ideas you've ever had in this podcast. Don't worry, I'll ruin that. All right. Uh, next thing, um, Brady Anderson. Do you want to talk a little bit about him? Yeah, here's the thing. I am so impressed every time I hear Brady Anderson speak. It's not – look, he was my favorite player growing up. He was a lefty, uh, and I was a lefty, so I, I looked up to him. I you know, I really enjoyed watching him play. When he came back to the organization, you know, I, I didn't really take him seriously because he was the guy that worked – like he lifts things up and puts it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then he got a, a role in the front office, and so every time I've, I've heard him speak, I've come away more and more impressed with him. And you know, some things that he said in the press lately, and his appearance at FanFest made me realize that he doesn't just have an ambassador's role. He, he's not just the trainer. Brady Anderson is definitely not at the kids' table when it comes to the O's front office. He is the vice president of baseball operations in a way that I, I guess I really didn't realize. And um, one of the things that that really stuck uh, stuck out to me is Dan DeKett made a point of, of saying that Brady Anderson was largely behind the Darren O'Day signing. We had mentioned earlier that they shared the same agent, and so you know there was a relationship there. But he spoke on behalf of the club in a lot of those negotiations. Um, and then you know he said something in in the press uh, that surprised me. He was talking about um, players uh, getting to free agency and, and therefore being more expensive, and spoke out and said that he hoped that the club in the future would be quicker to react and not let those players become free agents. I was I was interested by that because. You know, it's clearly stepping outside and, and making a comment on the organization. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if he's, you know, playing a game of the press because maybe he was voted down uh, in the free agent or in the front office or, or if, you know, the whole front office has really learned something from the experiences that they've they've come across in the it's last a, it's year. It's a very so. dynamic uh, statement, um, especially since, you know, free agent or I shouldn't say free agent extensions with players in years uh has been a very difficult thing uh of course the last one that we know of was jj hardy to a certain aspect but even when the adam jones contract happened there was constant talk earlier that season of like no we don't talk to players in season no we don't talk to players in season and then magically it just popped up and said Boom. We, we have made we decided to go ahead and do it but the brady interesting comment makes sense it's the aspect of can they achieve it do you, I think they could have achieved it with a Chris Davis? No, I think Boris was going to take Davis. Agreed. But when you see stuff like this, it does give me some bit of hope that they know that we need to go and start working on players such as Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, or even a player such as Chris Tillman, who is starting to hit arbitration. Kevin Gossman was another name that is starting arbitration this year for the first time that may need to be started giving consideration to, hey, maybe we need to lock up this player long-term. I'm not sure if it's quite that time yet for Gossman, but it's the aspect of the Orioles maybe are giving consideration saying, we're not just going to let arbitration continue and continue and continue into year two or year three. We want to start nailing these guys out earlier because it's going to save us money in the long term. And that's the interesting thing with the Orioles because I believe that they, in the last few years, have been paying an exorbitant amount in arbitration. You know, the the word on the street, the Orioles are cheap. Yeah, I get that. But they're paying a lot of money for players in, in arbitration. I wonder if this quote from Brady Anderson really signals a, 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 cha- a start to the change in thinking. 
And it also comes back to the whole aspect with payroll allocation where there's nobody on contract in a few years. And that comes back to how many players you have in arbitration. Getting some of those players signed to long-term deals allows the Orioles to determine how they want to allocate these longer-term structures, such as a Chris Davis seven-year deal or a Manny Machado eight-year deal or 10-year deal. 50, whatever. Yeah, so it, it just comes down to they eventually have to start making these long-term moves if they want to start creating a foundation for this team going forward. All right. So big news, I think, that came out of FanFest. Yeah. I was actually really surprised that this got said. Yeah. A fan stood up and asked a question and said, all right, you're dealing with Chris Davis. You offered him $150, $154 million, whatever it was. Let's say he says no, yeah. and you got to move on. Are you going to spend that money on other players? Are you going to put it in your back pocket? Yeah. And Dan Duquette didn't hesitate and didn't equivocate, and he said, if if Chris Davis doesn't take the deal, that money will be reallocated over time. Yep. Ooh. I mean, that that was a really big statement to me. It basically says that's Chris Davis money and Chris Davis money only. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, we're not going to take that $150 million or 21 per or whatever it is right. and make it available right away. Right. We're going to spend some now and spend some next year and the, and the year after. That's not a good thing. No, it really is. It's actually a scary thing, but it's a scary thing in this regard of it's a scary thing that you're that emotionally invested in one sole player that really doesn't make or break or make your team that much better. Here's what I don't get, though. If you're so invested in this player, you want this player. You want to provide as much leverage as you can. You basically just told him, you have a monopoly on our hearts, and we're not going to go spend that money on Upton or Suspettis or any of the other major bats on the market. This is just for you, Chris. Why would you do that? And and to a certain aspect, if it's actually true that Peter Angelos is out there specifically negotiating, this screams of, owner has said you can only spend this money on this one player. Which is a very dangerous game to be played, and it's a really bad game to play, too. You do not want to look at previous experiences and previous history and look at emotional attachment to players. That's kind of almost how you got into the danger of signing a Nick Markakis kind of contract, but last year they basically said, no, we're not going to do that. We're moving on. Maybe in this case, the Orioles are saying, we got burnt on that last year. We don't want to get burnt on that kind of same play, but that's a very dangerous game to play especially for $150 million. You know, for the first time, I really wish that Dan Duquette had just lied to me. (laughs) I would have felt better leaving the building if that had happened. I I actually don't know what is going to be a better thing if the Orioles go out and spend the seven years and $150 million, which is probably an overpay for Davis, or whether it would be better for them to not spend the money and absolutely be putrid this year by not spending that money. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I want. I wonder. I also know. don't know how, from, from a PR standpoint, you put that money back in the box and say, yeah. "Oh, you know what? It's not really available for anybody else." I, I think fans, I think, are smart enough to realize, like, "Hey, if that money was available, it should be invested in team." And I think the outcry if that happens is going to be a big deal. I don't understand how, from a public relations standpoint, you can put that back in the box. Yeah, and your use of the word box is perfect because it's Pandora's box. It really is. Because as much as the argument can be made that Chris Davis helps you sell season tickets, even if he doesn't contribute on the field as much as you would have liked, putting that money back in your pocket does the exact opposite. It's a PR nightmare. I I wholeheartedly agree with you. All right, another big piece of uh, uh, news that came out. Yeah, so Buck was in one of the kids' forums, and he mentioned that the uh, post-game pies... Uh, they might be donezo this year. Uh, apparently, someone got injured last year. 
Any details on who that was? All right, so I have my sources, and I had asked them a little bit about, like, hey, what happened here? You know, it never really came out in the media. Evidently, someone got hit with a pie, and they had food poisoning afterwards. (laughs) Apparently, it said something about the sugar that was within the pie was poison, and it helped the person go from a 2% body fat to a 3% body fat. I hate you so much. <laughs> can we never, ever speak of David Lowe again? Okay, we can move on past David Lowe. <laughs> All right, but if we're going to talk about players, I want to talk about an MVP of FanFest. And, you know, each year it's a little bit different. Um, sometimes when we go with the wives, it's, ooh, that one looks a little bit prettier than, you know, another one. Of course, last year it was J.J. Hardy being the MVP. For who was accosted who by was my wife. Who was accosted by your wife, which is why who was the MVP. For not pressing yeah. charges. But my MVP this year has to go to Caleb Joseph. Caleb Joseph said all the right things uh, throughout his you know, his conferences um, when he was up for the catcher's forum and kind of giving complete respect to Matt Wieters and you know, saying, I really wanted Matt to come back. But again, uh, I'll be Matt's backup for 10 years. Right. That kind of crap. But again, also come back and saying, you know what the real one thing I really want is? I really don't care about this or that. I just want playoffs again. And I just want to have that experience, you know. When me and Kevin Gossman were throwing back and forth to each other, you know, we've gone out there in that one game and we have never been in a baseball game or seen the stadium like that ever. So we want to just see that again. We don't care what it takes to get there. We want to see that again. Later that day, he gave an interview on the radio where he was talking about being in the playoffs and you could hear that it wasn't just lip service. Right. Like the dude was emotional when he talked about how much it meant to him to play playoff baseball at Camden Yards for the Orioles. I agree with you. Caleb Joseph was great with the media. And i got to be honest, when his playing days are over, I think that dude finds himself on a TV set somewhere because he he is a really interesting and fun guy to listen to. I I wholeheartedly agree. Watch out, Mark Bordick. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, FanFest overall, I'm going to... Like I said, I wasn't a big fan of it this year. Um, I thought that it was probably one of the worst fan fests I've been to over the past, you know, eight or nine years. I think the next couple are going to be fixed. Okay. I I think they're going to be better. And that is because you and I are in an age where our children Uh, are at an age where they're just about to start going to fan fest. I think that as we bring our kids and we'll be able to see the team and the experience through their eyes, I think that'll fix it for us. I really do. Because uh, one thing that, you know, you and I are not huge autograph people. You and I love doing the fan forums. But uh, looking around the building, I think the Orioles have done a wonderful job with including children, making a lot of things available to children, making it a very family-friendly event. So, uh, you know, say what you will. I I think that once our kids are involved, I think it'll be a much better overall experience. It'll be a little more difficult to be cynical and pessimistic. In all honesty, that's what this event is really geared towards all things considering yes it's got the autograph seekers and yes it's got some of those old fogies that are sitting up in the front row but in reality it's for that fan that is you know 11 or 12 years old who gets to be that close to the major league baseball player and just get some perspective of the people that they want to be as a role model so you know yeah we're probably disenfranchised and a little bitter but eh, we're Orioles fans womp womp one of the other topics talked about at FanFest was Dan Duquette heralding the Orioles farm system. We decided to go to the source of that heralding and why the Orioles farm system is so good, according to Dan Duquette. Please listen carefully.
FanFest, Dan Duquette stated that we shouldn't believe the uh, so-called crap coming out of national publications regarding the Orioles' weak minor league system. He then went on to name several of the top players within the organization. Duquette mentioned that several of these had recently been named in top 100 prospects, uh, and we've decided to go right to the source for that list and ask some questions on the topic. Chris Mitchell writes for Fangrass, and he, uh, he developed the Cato Projection System, which produces long-term forecasts for players who are still in the minor league phase of their career. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. So, Chris, uh, I, I know you've been coming out with Cato for, I, I guess it was a little over a year now. Um, I guess the question I have for you is, can you briefly explain to our listeners what Cato is how it came to be, and um, what kind of impact do you think it really makes uh, in these, this projection model? Absolutely. Um, well, Cato, it's a statistical model. Um, I've been working on it for a couple of years now, and it produces long-term forecasts for baseball players who are still playing in the minor leagues. So the output for it is, is war wins above replacement through age 28 season. Um, it takes into account entirely minor league stats, um, so pure objective data, such the stats, players' heights, things like that. Um, certainly, it's a little bit flawed in that there's more to prospect analysis than just looking at the stats. But um, I think because of its complete objectivity, uh, Cato can be can be useful in identifying talented players who might be overlooked by the industry consensus, whether it's because of their appearance, their the team they play for, uh, random things like that, and. I also think it can be useful in identifying highly touted prospects who, who might be overhyped by uh, the more traditional scouting standpoint. So going through the top 100 prospects uh, that you put out there, um, I went through and basically made a little bit of a pivot table up just to look at how uh, each team kind of ranked. And looking just in the top 100 and not breaking out further, the Orioles ranked 11th in total war in Major League Baseball. Um, and they showed up with four players in their top 100 um, which actually is a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent ranking for the Orioles. Um, how do you really feel like that truly reflects with the Orioles organization? Um, because most uh, publications, such as like Baseball Perfectus and Baseball America, have put it out and said that they're pretty much at the bottom. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think the Orioles have a strong farm system by any means. I think they have those first few guys who, like you said, are in the top 100. They have guys like Chance Cisco and Joe Mar Reyes. Uh, and Trey Mancini, and also guys like uh, Harvey and Bundy, who have been injured, and uh, therefore, since they didn't have stats, Cato didn't take them into account. So I think they have guys, but the thing is, after that top tier, it gets kind of thin. So I think if we were to look at something that took into account beyond the top 100, it, it wouldn't be quite as favorable, but I also don't think it's really fair to say that they have you know, the worst system or one of the worst systems. I think there's, there are things to like in the Orioles farm system. All right, so let's go ahead and, and start at the top. Cato projects some pretty good things for Chan Cisco, as you said. He was uh, number 22 overall. Uh, what is it about Cisco that makes him so attractive to the system? Well, last year he played in high A, and he, he did really well. He hit 308, 387, 422. That's, that's an 800 OPS right there. Um, he ran nearly equal strikeout and walk rates. Uh, that's always encouraging to see, especially when it comes with a decent amount of power. Um, in a season like that, that would be impressive from any player, let alone a 20-year-old. And on top, on top of all that, Cisco is a catcher, and the offensive bar for catchers is, is comically low. I mean, if you just take a look around the league at some of the guys who are playing regularly behind the plate, 
You got like Rene Rivera, Martin Maldonado, Kurt Suzuki, guys like that play a hundred games with OPSs in the five hundreds. So uh, when you have a guy like Cisco who can actually hit a little bit, there's, there's a lot of value there. Um, and going off of what he did last year, I think there's plenty of reason to be excited about his offensive potential. Um, so it's really just a matter of how his glove will develop. But I think as long as his glove is passable, you could in you know, 2017, 2018. Well, forgive me for my pessimism, but we were supposed to have a pretty good catcher that came through our minor league system and didn't quite uh, live up to the hype. One last question for you about Cisco. Uh, you said if his glove is anywhere near passable, he'll be, he'll be a, a worthwhile player. Uh, does it concern you at all, and I'm not sure if this is even in the projections at all defensively, but does it concern you at all that he's only been catching for three years? You, you mentioned he's 20, but he, he's just started with the catching. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the areas where I'm kind of working to improve Cato. It, it does take into account the fact that he's a catcher, but it doesn't really look at how good of a catcher he is. So that's one area where maybe it overrates him a little bit if his catching defense is you know, actually terrible. Um, and to be honest, I'm not really the one to say for sure how his catching is. I've, I've never personally seen him play, but you know, I think as long as he's an all right catcher, I, he, I could see him being a very great player because the bat is so impressive and, uh, yeah, that's just such the, the bar for offense is so low behind the plate, and a guy like that can really produce some value. Yeah, uh, one of the other names that was on your list was Trey Mancini, and he was mentioned as a possible replacement for Chris Davis at FanFest by Dan Ducat. I- I'm personally skeptical of this. I think Mancini has definite promise. I don't see him as a Davis replacement. I, I'm, I guess I'm a little skittish based off of you look at Christian Walker from 2014 and he had a nice projected uh, war in 2014. Going back to the numbers that you posted on Harvard uh, Times, he had a projected value of 2.6 war through the 28 uh, age 28. Now, that's dropped down a little bit over the past season. But what really distinguishes a player like Christian Walker versus a Trey Mancini, who is now projected to be 6.4 war throughout, throughout age 28? I mean, yeah, the thing with Mancini is, um, yeah, he hits for a lot of power, and that's always exciting, but... He also does so while making a decent amount of contact. Like he's not a guy who's going to strike out over 20% of the time. And one of my big findings was that uh, strikeout rate for minor leaguers is actually very predictive. So even if you do everything else well and you strike out a lot, there's, there's a lot of risk with that profile. And Mancini, I mean, he, he crushes it. He puts up great stats, and he does so while also making a lot of contact. So there's reason to believe that that skill set will translate well against uh, more advanced pitching. Speaking about strikeout percentage, because I thought that was a really interesting findings with your projection system, because whenever you look at minor league stats, it's always a question of like, what's going to be a good stat to look at? I've always looked at K percentage as a pretty decent one. One individual that everyone always is trying to figure out what is going to happen to him, of course, it has, has to be Dylan Bundy, who has been hampered with injuries. But you look at the brief stretches that he's been in, and there hasn't been a lot of innings over the past two years. But that K percentage is definitely of interest to people that think he can still be a top player uh, coming into Major League Baseball eventually. Um, Cato wasn't able to project him because of pretty much that limited innings pitched. Do you have any thoughts on Bundy and where he would land on a list uh, in the Orioles' rankings? Yeah, well, in Bundy's case, I mean, he hasn't really pitched very much at all for the last, you know, three years now. So there's not a ton of me to go off of, not a lot to analyze on my part. But um, all the scouting reports tend to say that his stuff is still roughly as good as it was back in 2012. Uh, That was the year when 
he just completely destroyed a ball and then made that, uh, that September cameo in Baltimore. So I guess the, the limited stats have been good, but you know, when small samples, it's really hard to take them too seriously. So I guess just have to look at what he did in the past when he has pitched and just hope that it's all still there and that he can stay healthy and finally start to fulfill that potential. Um, because it's it's always a shame when top tier prospects have their careers derailed by injuries, uh, especially when they're like like Bundy, who is you know supposed to be a future ace. Well, Baltimore's had its fair share of uh, potential future aces not working out. <laughs> We've got yeah. one serving as a loogie in the bullpen right now. Um, so we asked you an unfair question about a player with a small sample size, and that that wasn't fair. I'm sorry. Uh, to follow that up, Don't worry about it. I'm going to ask you an unfair question about a player with not enough sample size. Um, <laughs> 2015's first round draft pick, DJ Stewart, really didn't rate very favorably due to his first professional season. Um, how, if at all, should we read into this? Yeah, so he got off to a very rough start um, to his pro career uh, in a half season of play. So as a result, Cato's way down on him. Um, but a poor 60 games from a guy who's, you know, 20, 21, that's not the end of the world by any means, uh, especially when you consider that he crushed it in college um, before the Orioles drafted him. And he obviously has great tools. There's, there's a reason why he was such a highly regarded pick going into the draft. Um, so I wouldn't take it too seriously, but at the same time, I, I think the onus will be on Stewart next year to kind of show what he can do. And if he comes out of the gate struggling again next year, then, you know, maybe it may be time to start to worry and think that the Orioles may have uh, whiffed on their first round pick. But right now, I'm, I'm not concerned. So one of the players that the Orioles somewhat acquired, I guess, to the Real Five draft was Joey Ricard. And what was interesting was Brady Anderson made special note about Joey Ricard and noted not so much from a statistical standpoint, which Brady Anderson actually is, you know, pretty fluent in sabermetrics to a certain regard, but he noted saying that Joey Ricard had a gift and it was that gift of knowing where the strike zone is. Um, he stated that that's something that you really can't, you know, teach up certain players. They either have or they don't have it. Is there anything in for Cato to look at uh, in terms of perhaps K percentage or, or walk percentage uh, and just see how that progresses through single-A, double-A, and triple-A to see how that plate discipline would transfer into Major League Baseball? Yeah, um, as I said before, a strikeout rate is very, very important. I mean, I think that's something that's kind of underrated for people who are just kind of scouting the stat line. Um, you can't just – it's more complicated than just looking at the players in the minors. You have to look at how often you're striking out. Um, and walk rate – actually, walk rate doesn't seem to matter all that much um, for hitters in the minor leagues. Um, it, it does have some predictive value, but a guy who, who walks a lot versus a guy who doesn't walk a lot, it's, if, if everything else is equal, of course, that's, that's not a huge difference. So and I guess I'd recommend looking at strikeout rate more so uh, than walk rate when trying to decide if you know, a guy will, will make it based on just his play discipline stats. All right. Well, we actually have a, a, another reason to bring you on the show, and that's we're going to pull back the facade right now. We know that you run this blog called PinstripePundits.com. So, you know, we always like to scout another team within the American League East to a certain regard, especially with the offseason and really nothing going on, especially for the Orioles. It's not like the Orioles go out and sign free agents or anything like that. So I, I guess the question is... Unless it bites them later. Yeah, well, that's true. I guess the question is, as a Yankees fan, how boring has this offseason been for you guys? 
yeah, we're still just sitting around and <laughs> waiting and see what's going to happen. But uh, I'm, I'm confident. I and mean, the team played really well last year, and a, a lot of what they had last year will be coming back. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried yet. I think they'll have a they have a good squad now, and I'm confident that they'll make the the right improvements as as the winter wanes on. Can Can I ask you a question? Um, what's go that, for it? What's that like? What is it like to go into an off season and totally not be worried that your your organization is about to make a mistake that's going to set them back fourteen years worth of losing? What What is it like to have the confidence in an organization to know that things are probably going to be okay? You know, it's it's pretty nice <laughs> to be honest. I mean, pretty much uh, my entire life it's been this way. Like that they, uh, they've done these great spending sprees. They get all these uh, superstar players. Um, and it, it actually, when it doesn't happen, it's kind of like disappointing and you're just kind of <laughs> shocked and you can't believe that they're you know, just going to run out some mediocre platoon guys, their everyday player and not uh, dollars. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it can kind of be not a good thing in a way because then you know, teams like the Yankees will end up spending all this money on these players who <laughs> are good for like two or three years. And then it's just their contracts just get all terrible and it just kind of hamstrings the organization. So. I think the good outweighs the bad, but it's not, you know, it's not all roses and sunshine. Well, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a different experience because let me tell you, I was born the year the Orioles won their, their last World Series uh, before 2012. Uh, you know, it had been a long time since they had been in the postseason. It was actually, I was in middle school yeah. when the Orioles made their, la- their last uh, postseason appearance, <laughs> and then my daughter went to kindergarten the next time they got there. So... Wow. Yeah, it's kind of. Uh, so I guess it just makes it that much sweeter when you have a when you have to wait all those years for it. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a fine bottle of wine, you know, once every fifteen years. It's pretty much exactly like prison. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the question is, if you look at this free agency situation with the Yankees and the Orioles and stuff like that, I mean, last year going into the American League East, it's kind of seemed like it was a big old toss up, and no one knew exactly who was going to win that division and to a certain regard it kind of felt that way throughout the entire season so like well who is going to take that big step and basically win the division of course the blue jays uh, after the trade deadline went out like gangbusters and decided just to take that division do you do you feel like going into this season um that it's kind of going to be another toss-up uh season for anybody can actually win that division yeah i really do i mean i don't feel like there's any one team that's really stands out from the crowd and I think if we learned anything last year with the nationals is that even when you think there is a team that stands out from the crowd, it doesn't always play out that way. So I think in pretty much all scenarios, it's almost a crapshoot. And right now looking at the AL East, it's, you know, no one really stands out and all the teams are at least relatively competitive. I think they have enough talent to at least hold their own. So I think it's going to be interesting and it's probably going to be another tight race. All right, Chris, I've got another question for you, and it's only a question that you can answer. If you're in a pizza place at 4 o'clock in the morning, what kind of pizza is Alex Rodriguez eating? <laughs> if you're at a pizza place at 4 in the morning, so Alex Rodriguez was just you know, out with his friends looking for a slice, just like the rest of us, I guess. it was uh, <laughs> That really caught me off guard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as long as Manny Machado is not hanging out with Alex Rodriguez, us as Orioles fans are going to be uh, much appreciated of that, okay? So just keep him away from Manny <laughs> as much as possible. I'll keep him separate. Okay. <laughs> all right. Food, food segue, and, and this is important. All right. We have a segue. Uh, we have a segment on this show 
uh, we call the drink of the week. Uh, it's what, whatever we're drinking as we podcast. Um, so it's important that we ask our guests, what are you drinking this week? What is your go-to? My go-to? That's a tough question. Um, I usually like to stick to either beer or, uh, or when I'm, you know, I'm just looking to knock them back. I'll have some, uh, some vodka seltzers. All right. A favorite brew. <laughs> my favorite brew. Um, Stella is usually my go-to just cause they have it everywhere. And that's always usually the best of what they have in my opinion. I know it may not be the, the best out there, but it's, I'd say it's solid above average. We have heard far worse answers. Yeah, Don't yes. you worry about it. <laughs> what, what about you guys? What's your guys go to? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if it's wet, if it's uh, wet, we drink it. So. <laughs> the wet stuff. There you go. I'm a I'm a big loose cannon fan, which is a Baltimore beer. So oh. yeah. All right. Um, so can't say I've ever had that one. Well, we'll inter- highly recommend. We'll it. introduce it to you if you ever manage to come down here to Baltimore. Um, so we end all our all interviews right. with this simple question. It's a musical question, but it's the most important question of all. Are you a Beatles or are you a Rolling Stones fan? Um, I'd say I'm more of a Beatles guy. All right. Chris, we're going to be good friends, okay? You, you and us, you can hang out with us. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yes, you've nailed it. You, you just made up for all that pinstripe stuff. A- exactly. You, you know, you're, right. you're finally the one Yankees fan that we can like, so we appreciate that. <laughs> Chris, is there well, anything I'm... going on at Pinstripe Pundits or on Fangraphs that you uh, want to talk about? Um, I'd say the biggest thing is these team lists. Um, the Orioles was the first one, uh, I'm rolling them out with uh, with Dan Farnsworth, our uh, lead prospect analyst. He's doing the main list, and I'm doing some companion pieces uh, with the, the Cato projections as follow-ons. Uh, so the Red Sox are next in line. I'd say that'll be out uh, with the holidays, probably not until the new year, but probably shortly thereafter. So how good keep an eye that, out for those. How good is that Dodgers prospect list going to look? The Dodgers prospect list? Yeah. Uh, I think they have some some solid players. Okay. <laughs> uh, Urias or He's uh he's very good, and they have and of course Corey Seager. Yep. We saw what he did in the end of the season Absolutely. last year, and his minor league track record was also pretty awesome. So I think the Dodgers are going to be set for a long time. Yeah, and I think another name team that would be interesting too that I'm keeping an eye out for this offseason would be the Phillies. Andy McPhail, of course, was a former GM for the Orioles. I think it'll be very interesting to see how the Phillies continue to rebrand and regrow themselves uh, in the next few years with Andy McPhail. Yes, uh, absolutely. They they have a long way to go. Oh, they, yeah, uh, they've fallen a long way. They dug themselves in in quite a hole. So hopefully they can get some good prospects to the system and uh, start to get back to to respectability. Well, there's only one way. There's up. I mean, I know a Yankees fan's not used normally used to having to go up. So uh, <laughs> I guess with that, yeah, Chris. You know, we appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us and educating us about uh, the Cato system. And, uh, you know, in the future, we look forward to having you down to Camden Yards and uh, having yourself a, a loose cannon from Heavy Seas. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Scott, as you know, we don't do this Orioles podcasting thing in a vacuum. We are part of a community, right? There are some other really great 
Orioles podcasts out there. And, uh, you know, some of us, some of them are no longer with us. We've tried our best to resurrect uh, our good friends, the Orioles Spastics. They, they hosted an episode of our, our show. Um, another great podcast out there that I'm really hoping I hear more from is the OBP podcast. Um, and they had a really great segment that um, I would just like to borrow from for a moment as we blow the save. Can, can you hit the music? Sure. Scott, to blow the save this week, I'm going to make a confession. I have a confession for you. Confession! I didn't hate the Ravens' gold pants this week. Oof. I didn't hate them. In fact, I would go as far to say is that I kind of enjoyed the Ravens' gold pants from this week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and... I would just like to say that I think it is a real possibility that we all need to understand that if the Orioles or the Ravens had been scheduled for a Thursday night game this week, that it could have been gold on gold. And we all need to brace ourselves for a gold jersey with a purple number set. And we need to not only brace ourselves, we need to embrace the gold. It's coming, Baltimore. It's coming, and it is going to be glorious. All right, your mic is going off, and uh, you're not going to be talking for the rest of this podcast. Um, so with that, um, that was absolutely horrible. We are this never, is what I do here. This is, we're never doing that again. Um, so All apologies to OBP. Yeah, seriously, that was horrible. Um, so not much going to happen over the next few weeks. Holidays, things should be absolutely quiet. And with that, the Orioles are going to go off and sign someone major while we are away for the holidays. Dan Duquette said he wanted his team in place by Christmas, and I'm just not buying it. Well, Hanukkah is over, so I'm sure we're going to sign someone from the Jewish League. Um, so with that, Baltimore and beyond? I have nothing more. I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Good night, everybody. Happy Hanukkah, even though it's past now. Uh, and uh, let's go O's. Na 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 Bird's eye view. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.